Welcome to Evolve to Succeed, the podcast that brings together entrepreneurs, founders, business leaders, and experts to talk about their journeys and explore the link between personal and business success. I'm your host, Juan Munson, founder of Evolve, a coaching, training, and development company focused on enabling business and personal success and creating a community of like-minded individuals. Whether that be through our peer groups, one-to-one coaching, our training and development programs for you and your teams, or through our content and events, our mission is to get the best out of each individual and inspire them to be better both in life and in business. If you want to learn more about Evolve, including our beautiful co-working space in Ashley Cross in Paul, then please go to evolvemembers.com where you'll find great content, insights, details of all of our services and also information on our forthcoming events. For now though, let's get on with the show. Welcome to this week's episode. Today we meet Gregory Cook, CEO of Constant Close, an agency that removes the need for sales calls and therefore streamlines your sales process. Gregory's entrepreneurial journey began when he started selling memory cards from eBay while still at school, all from an £80 Christmas gift from his now father-in-law. That eventually turned into a multi-seven-figure successful business. Now you might think that Gregory considers himself destined to be an entrepreneur. However, as you'll discover during the podcast, Gregory's ambition, drive and resilience was born out of his struggles with dyslexia, PTSD and mental health issues. I loved this discussion with Gregory, not only because of his maturity, but also his openness and honesty during the whole conversation. It was a privilege to know that there are some stories in this interview that Gregory is telling in public for the very first time. And I really valued the trust and vulnerability he showed. You'll also hear about his plans for Friday Founders Foundation, which he hopes will provide a network of mental health support for entrepreneurs. It's a compelling and open-hearted conversation from an individual who has clearly done a lot of introspection and is using the challenges he's faced to have a positive impact on both himself and others while also being successful in business. Please enjoy the conversation. Hello Gregory, welcome to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. Thanks for having me, no, delighted to be here. Brilliant to have you on the podcast, going to talk about so much today I'm sure and, and so much about your personal journey and story. Uh, you've successfully grown many sort of e-commerce and e-marketing businesses. Do you think, you know, let's start with that kind of obvious opening question then, are you always destined to be an entrepreneur do you think? I would say no, I think in fact, it was life circumstances which kind of dealt me the hand of being an entrepreneur. If you look at my family, I'm the youngest of six children, um, so I'm 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 the baby. I'm the uh, I'll always be the baby, no yeah. matter what. <laughs> and they are all in. They're either doctors, nurses, teachers, um, and one works for a charity in, in the education space. And my mother and father okay. are one. She's a Macmillan nurse, and my dad is a was a microbiologist. So. I'm very much a bit of a black sheep, <laughs> I guess. You're kind of the outcast of that kind of yeah, you know, from but, going into public servicing in the care sector. I yeah, suppose. 100%. And so like for me, I never really had any exposure to business people, entrepreneurship, apart from Dragon's Den on, BB, on, BB, on, the, on the BBC. Which, <laughs> That's not really it, is yeah, it? Either. No, and that was my only, that, that was my only really exposure. And um, I think kind of simultaneously two things happened in my life when I was about 15, 16. So when I was 16, I'm sure we'll cover it, um, I had PTSD and um, actually wrote a suicide note. And that kind of 
when you're in that dark hole, you view life in a very, very different way. And what you think is, what you think your life's going to be like, you kind of get hit in the face. It's like, wow, I nearly lost all of that. And it kind of makes you approach things in a different way. And simultaneously, literally two, three months after that period, I met my now wife. Um, we're now married. And her dad, um, and in those early stages, was a massive influence on me. So he's a successful property entrepreneur. He had over 100 properties at one point um, in the St. Helens area uh, of Liverpool. And I remember him one day saying to me about these buying and selling things, uh, memory cards on eBay. And he said, you know, you can buy and sell things from China. And I was like, no. <laughs> I had, and I literally <laughs> YouTubed it and was absolutely hooked. And uh, six weeks later, was making around $1,600, uh, which is like £1,200 a week while still in school, selling these memory cards on eBay. Okay. And was like, whoa, um, this is different. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> this isn't what I was expected to be doing, you know? No, and that's where it, it, it wasn't the money. It wasn't any of that at that point. It was like, wow, I can, sounds a bit sad, I, I, I can be somebody. Um, because yeah. at that time, I was still, you know, I was, I was, having, I was going through uh, therapy with a, a post traumatic stress doctor specialist, and, and it just gave me like an out. <laughs> It, it was all entrepreneurship almost came my therapy. Like I can spend my time and energy and attention on this and it makes me feel good. Um, and yeah. that's kind of where it all started for me. Yeah. That's a completely different story to most of us, isn't it? The startup business. And, but I suppose it was that outlet for you that it just gave you that opportunity to see life in a, in a different way through a different lens. And, you know, thank God, perhaps, you know, that you, your now wife's, you know, dad kind of reached out in, that kind of way and started you on the journey. I know, yeah. So he actually gave me eighty pound in an envelope for Christmas, and on on the envelope okay. it said um, "Start your own business." And I turned that eighty pound. There's a Daily Express article which we, we might come on to. Um, so I turned that eighty pound into, you know, what was uh, you know a multi seven figure company. Yeah. Um, not obviously not not overnight. There was lots and. I know. <laughs> yeah. You had the normal kind of roller coaster along yeah. the way, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, but you know that's yeah. and I, I think sometimes people take that story. And go, oh, you know, that's just suddenly happens. It's like no, no, there's so much more to it, and that's why, honestly, I, I my, my my post the other day, I didn't know the article was going to be positioned like that, and I uh, got a lot mm. of abuse online. People finding me out, and it was the first time ever I publicly spoke about what I was doing. Really, outside, you know, my inner circle. Yeah. And that was, uh, yeah, that, that was quite tough. Um, cause I was, I was, what the people who, uh, send those messages were doing were essentially viewing me as a huge success story without the time. They didn't see that there was actually an entrepreneur there who had 30 miles to feed because that was the size of our team at the time during a global yeah. pandemic from four different countries who at my, at that time was also mentally struggling a little bit because the, the, the pressure and a few other things going on. And I was getting these these messages of just disgusting things. Just the, the, how people spend their time is, is just blows my mind that they will go and find me who's not mm. even that active on social media, find me just to, um, and that was one of the things, I mean, again, I'm sure we'll come on to, but you know, I think people would think, oh, so successful, but so much more to it. <laughs> Definitely, definitely. I mean, you know, let's see, it's worth touching on a few of those things that you've already kind of mentioned. So you, know, you talk about PTSD, you talk about a lot, you know, and you're really honest. And one of the reasons I wanted you on the, the podcast to have this discussion is 
you talk about PTSD, PTSD, you talk about trauma, you talk about being dyslexic and all of those things having that impact on your life mm-hmm. and your your journey. So perhaps, you know, just give a, our listeners a little bit of an insight to those kind of early years up until that point and when, you know, your father-in-law gave you the envelope kind of thing and, yeah. and what effect that has had on you. Definitely. So I said I was brought up in the youngest of six and we moved from, I was about five years old, we moved from Eastbourne on the south coast to Liverpool, okay. which um, right. are two polar different opposite worlds in terms of childhood. <laughs> yeah. So I, I was five, so I don't really remember the move too much, but I, you know, it was quite distressed, I think, for a few of my older brothers and sisters until they got used to it because they were you know, in, in, in school and stuff. And I was very early, early diagnosed with dyslexia. I, I now say gifted with dyslexia. Uh, so I had dys- dyslexia, okay. dyscalculia, and dyspraxia. So severe dyscalculia, severe dyslexia, and mild dyspraxia. And I was quite lucky in a way because my older brother, Kieran, has severe dyslexia. And my mum had gone through the, the trials and tribulations at school. He's just stupid. He's not trying. All the usual stuff you hear. And mm. she kind of spotted it instantly yeah. with, with me. So I went to see an educational psychologist who wrote a multi-page like 12 14 page document of what i had and then the school were reasonably good at you know at putting that in place but even to this day i still have re- i have a reading age of a 13 year old okay. somebody, somebody might, might be quite surprised to hear and so i did have that struggle in school because I, I i viewed it as a bad thing honestly and now i view it as the best mm. thing that i could have got um, yeah and you you talk about that don't you and interesting you've used that phrase you now feel you're gifted yeah. by dyslexia 100 so in and how would it how would you interpret that how would you interpret the meaning of being gifted by dyslexia it's, yeah I, understand. I, I know that might sound a bit strange to people especially who haven't got dyslexia and maybe struggling with it I, I still don't I still struggle with it but I find different ways around it but to me what dyslexia means and the more research I've done into it is you're not stupid your brain just works in a different yeah. way anything but and that's why when you look at people like Richard Branson and very like successful dyslexic entrepreneurs in our space is that they just simply view things a different way. I'm not saying that's all because they had dyslexia, but Richard Branson, you know, in particular, puts a lot of emphasis on on that. I've heard him speak amazing things about that. And when I first heard him speak about that, I just really related to it. And it kind of made me think, I, I, you know what, I'm not stupid. And I've done some research into it. And I don't quote me on the source, um, but there's quite a few articles and, and research papers that you have to be above average intelligence for dyslexia to even be detected. And okay. I found that really interesting. When I look at my family... Uh, we've got half of them have dyslexia, half of them have a hay fever or um, asthma. It's quite weird. The, it's the, literally a, di- a split. And my father's dyslexic and he was a professor microbiologist, um, sold out arenas around the world. I didn't know this as a child, but sold out arenas around the world speaking on on, on, on his his area of speciality. Um, even during the pandemic crisis was called back in to, mm. you know, to advise. Um, my brother Kieran is probably one of the highest earners, I guess, in our family, and he's doing incredible work with charity and, and doing some incredible things down in London. And you know, and in a way, and also another thing, our family is quite interesting. They've all got degrees, and only the dyslexics have first degrees. Um, right. Which is again, I'm not saying that's because of dyslexia, but you know, there's there's so many patterns you spot, and it, I was lucky that I could see that above me and go, yeah. do you know what? And the teacher called me stupid in year seven, year eight. So, no, I'm not, I'm not stupid, actually. And they were quite good in the end. And so I, I didn't learn any languages in school. I didn't do any geography, a bunch of things I never did. And then said I had extra one-on-one uh, classes, um, which kind of helped me through. That's why I view it as gifted, I guess. But it's, yeah, but it, and it is really interesting, isn't it? And to see that and anybody, any of us that have struggles and strives and things we need to overcome, the power of having a role model 
Like you talk about your, you know, those in your family that you could look up to and see had been, you know, Kieran in particular, been on this journey. You've got to have role models, haven't you? 100%, yeah. And if you haven't got those people to look up to, I mean, even the internet is a fantastic place in some ways for that today. You can access people, mm. all the information that they give. And just it just allows you to view world outside the box you might be confined in. And that I'm, I'm, I'm so grateful that, uh, in a way, I was the youngest because I was able to see that my mother in particular was in and out of the headmaster's office. I got suspended multiple times, got asked to leave once, you know, and... He's just a naughty kid. He's just a naughty kid. And my mum would always be in my corner. You know, he's not, he's not. You're just not helping him. And, you know, there was elements. I was still a, not, not always the best player in the school. <laughs> yeah, but, weren't we all? <laughs> but, you know, but, but I think that was my way of rebelling. So I could be good as gold in one class when the teacher gave me a handout. I didn't have to copy from the board. would help me. And then I could be a nightmare for another teacher who just dismissed me and sat me in the back in the back right corner so I wouldn't do anything and then I'd be a nightmare. And you know, that's, that was on me. But for any parents particularly listening who they think their child might have dyslexia or any of that stuff, I would, I would just say there's a lot more information out there than what you might be told by a school system. And in what ways do you think it's positively affected you? I mean, do you think you've got different attributes in your personality and your skill set? as a result or is it because you've developed coping mechanisms two things uh, problem solving which is key in entrepreneurship um because your mind works in a slightly different way being able Mm. to problem solve is massive and viewing things in a different way to everybody else i believe is one of the attributes which got me to where i am today and also you know if you're going through it you won't ever see it as a positive thing like i did but the ability to overcome those challenges and develop coping Mm. mechanisms where no one else might help you but you can learn to help yourself. So it sounds stupid. I can't write anything on my laptop about using a tool called, called um, Grammarly. Um, you know, and my yeah. my screen on my laptop is green because um, I I without a green screen, my reading age is super. My super, reading speed sorry, is very very slow. So in school, as a fourteen year old boy, I was sat there in science class with these little green glasses on, and everyone called me Elton John. But I, it was really it was quite difficult. But overcoming that. Not that, not, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't bullying, yeah. but overcoming that, you know, and I'm going to do it anyway and it's going to help me. It's, it's, you know, I didn't see it then, but now I see it. Yeah, no, definitely. It's the same as many things. And it's not only until you look back and you reflect that you kind of put the pieces of the jigsaw together. But that, that's, that's very true, isn't it? I think a lot in a lot of successful business owners, business leaders, entrepreneurs, there is this sense of resilience because it, you know, when you get a kicking, you've got to get back up. Yeah. dust yourself off yeah. and go again and you've got to have that positive mindset and you know I suppose a lot of us learn that resilience along the way but when you have when you go through instances that test you from a young age you do build that resilience at a much younger age and take that out into your business career don't you you do and, and you don't realize it at the time like when I was 14 sat in a science class with those little green glasses on and everyone was laughing at me you know just so I just so I could, I could read the same age you know read the same speed as them I wasn't thinking oh do you know what in five years time I'm going to be like because at that age you, you kind of don't but I'm very grateful I had those challenges now and I don't believe I'd be doing what I was doing today if I hadn't have had them. Fantastic. Great, positive thinking. And then we, you sort of move on through your story and you talk about, you know, uh, age 15, was it, suffering from PTSD? So how did that come about, Gregory? Yeah, so it's actually the first time I've ever publicly spoken about it outside of a conversation with my wife and my mother, who was incredible, blessed to have, you know, such a supportive woman like that. I, when I was 16, I went, at the end of the school year, 
end of year 11, while the rest of my year group were going to the prom, I was 2,400 miles away in a place called Zambia in Africa. And I wanted to volunteer, make a difference. I felt my whole, I've got this real inner drive to me. And I don't know, maybe it comes from parents, family, so I don't know, to, mm. to help people. And I've got a genuine moral compass that just wants to really help people. And um, I felt like I wasn't, I felt like I kind of failed in school and because I wasn't given that really always that opportunity. So resilient, <laughs> again, come into it. I was told by all these charities, no, 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 you have to be 18. So through family contacts and finding my own way, I found my own way to go out in Zambia and volunteer with street children. So I taught English in the school, uh, both English and PE. And then I worked in the street children orphanage in the evening and, and the weekends. And when I was out there, unfortunately, I suffered two traumatic events. One within nine hours of being in the country. <laughs> I don't know how far to, how far to, to, to go into it, but uh, essentially in short, jumped on the back of a truck was person who was going to take us to the, we're staying in um, where the nuns live because uh, that was our accommodation. They offered a, accommodation. They were taking us to there. We had two security guards who were the street kids on either side of me. And um, we went through the first police checkpoint who of course bribed him for whatever. Mm. So we just gave him bags of sugar. And then got pulled out another police checkpoint. He was getting quite angry at this point. So I gave them more bags of sugar. And at that point, had run out of sugar. I don't know why they want sugar. I never really understood that. But uh, And then he got pretty angry, saw another police checkpoint and veered to the right off the road and um, went down the second worst ghetto in, in Lusaka, where in, in Zambia. And what I saw on that on those streets... Um, I mean, I don't know, a graphic to make it for your podcast listeners, but mm. tiny children in drains, um, just, yeah. and it was, yeah, it was, it was just, horrendous. and basically the road got narrower and narrower and the two street kids who were at my, that's my security next to me were getting more twitchy, more twitchy. Anyway, word got through that I was coming through. They put a boulder in front of the truck and uh, demanded the uh, driver to pay a sum of money to move it. And bear in mind, if you're thinking, distance like you've got a four by four pickup truck i could almost reach out and touch the sides of the houses so it wasn't it wasn't not a, it was a very thin yeah. and about 30 a group about 30 men fight uh, probably fighting age males were gathering about 30 40 meters away and um, making slit throat signs at me and the two street kids were praying and it was just horrendous and basically ended up with yeah. rocks and stones being thrown and at, that, and at that point, I said goodbye to everyone I knew, and uh, and that was it. And I, I I can't even really explain what happened in those last ten seconds. I I screamed. I there must have been the tone of my voice or something. And the driver looked in the in the wing mirror, um, like behind, and saw the group uh, as a stone was hitting the the truck. And uh, I just screamed. I don't know what I even said. And uh, he pulled in his pocket as a wad of money gave it to the person, the elder, whatever, and uh, they moved the boulder uh, within about two metres with the guy, like, I, don't know, I know your, your, your listeners can't see, but it was making a slit throat sound with yeah. tongue out, and he grabbed my leg and tried to pull in the, kind of as we pulled, the, the truck kind of sped off, and that was the first one, and I didn't really, I didn't really process that. Mm. Um, even when I got, even when I arrived, I just, I just carried on, and the two street kids, uh, Days later, sat me down and said, God was on our side. I don't know how we ever made it out that day alive. And bear in mind, these are streets because we've been brought up on, on those streets. And that was the first one. And then the second one, 
I felt ill to the point where I couldn't hold my own body weight. I was um, Dean at DMV, and the nuns took me to a local clinic rather than a Western clinic. If you haven't been out in that sort of uh, area and terrain, there's a massive difference. <laughs> um, so oh. I was taken to a local clinic, sat down, could barely hold my own body weight. Was coming like feeling really faint. I was so weak, and um, a guy opposite me, I looked up and he'd been stabbed, and blood was spurting out him almost like a cartoon, and it went all all over me. And I just passed out on the floor and then was, um, I literally haven't spoken about it for years. Um, and then was carried by six men who brought him in, who were all drunk and put in a room. Uh, they slammed the door and uh, almost chucked him to like, like a physio bed. And they slammed the door and um, yeah, oh, yeah, I won't go into it. <laughs> you can, yeah, you can probably yeah. imagine the rest. And uh, yeah, and unfortunately those two things happened. I, I, I never really processed them. And then I got back and uh, you go back from that world to, to, to this world and life becomes very contrast different. Contrast must, is, yeah. yeah. And then and life that. looks different, contrast it. And how do you even, I mean, thank you for your honesty and no, for your cool. sharing is my first thing to say. And, but, you know, the, how do you overcome that? And how, how do you overcome that trauma? And, you know, how do you end up processing it and end up being the positive person that you are today, Gregory? Um, how do I do that? So... A lot of pain. Uh, it's not. I'm not going to say. Oh, I did this. I I started to do this, and suddenly it was better. That's not the case. So after that, I got back, and I actually three weeks later moved down from Liverpool to London to an athletics academy because I was a cross country and track runner. And um, for nine months, I was essentially in this house living in St Albans in London. They were amazing. You know, I, I I can't deny that. But I was essentially boxing a white room. To me, that's what it was like. So I would wake up mm. in the middle of the night, I'd be in the wardrobe, I'd be banging my head. I would, I was going mad and I didn't, I couldn't, I didn't know who to speak to because who, who the hell do you speak to about stuff like that? Like, you know, I, I've never had that before. I like, who, who do I go in? 16, you don't know, do you? No, That's and, the problem. You... I, th I think my, my mother is an incredible woman. I'm so is my, my uh, father and she really, I think she understood and she was really there for me, but. I didn't speak, and I think men also. I don't know if you've you watched the UFC, but I think you might as well. Paddy Pimlet's, uh, who's from Liverpool, one of his uh, speeches at the end of his fight, and he said, "Men, please talk," because his friend just committed suicide, mm -hmm. and it is it is coming. It is a more awareness issue now, but I, I I didn't I didn't know any of that, and it basically led to the February. I sat down on the on my desk, and I and I wrote a, and I wrote a letter goodbye, and I asked. Uh, my friend then sent me to St. Albans train station for the, to get the 1014 train to St. Pancras. And I went into that train station with every, every intention to chuck myself in front of a train. And I sat on that um, bench. I can picture it. And someone, this old woman, it was like two minutes till the train was coming and I was, I was completely at peace. I was just so at peace. And um, I was in almost like a trance and uh, a beautiful old woman just tapped me and said, dear, can you help me with this? And I just looked at her and I just broke down in tears and was on my hands and knees in the cold floor in February in St. Albans train station, just crying. And it was just her words took me out that mm, trance. Took and you out of that moment. Someone yeah. cares. I, 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 can't remember what, I can't remember what she said. It was just took me out of that moment. And I just broke down on my hands and knees. I went back to home and told my mum everything and... Um, and yeah, and and then from there, it was it all got better. No, it didn't. It was I saw counsellors from the NHS, all sorts. I had suicide ideation. But that was your moment. 
yeah, yeah that was a moment know, where that realization you needed help and family were there and then yeah started the path i'm so lucky to, to have recovery. family there and a lot of people don't and that's one of the you know one of the saddest things it's so true and and you know there's this kind of and i think we are moving completely away from it aren't they but you know perhaps you go back five ten years that was that whole kind of alpha male beat the chest can't ask for help yeah. you know and a, and a really kind of and, and that's generations of generations of generations of men and, and that's changing now but what do you think more could be done to help men admit to those times when you know they are suffering from poor mental health and they do need to reach out for help it's really it's really difficult because there's there's more now than ever awareness of it and i think that's continued to grow mm. i mean it's still the biggest killer in men under 40 i think under 35 and i think honestly it sounds really sad i think that's only going to get worse because of the rise of social media i think my generation and the generation below me i'm 25 by the way um so the generation below me i think mm. have had the social media worse but now i look at my nephews and how their parents have been so controlled over it and it's much more awareness of it. I think it will get worse than get better. So what 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 can they do? And I mean, it's the same as everyone says, it's, it's just talk. And it's so much easier said than done, especially when you have no one around. So, you know, I, I know we, I was supposed to be on the podcast last week and we had to cancel that guy. Um, unfortunately, an incident happened when I was out volunteering with the homeless and this uh in short, this guy wanted to kill himself and he came up to me and he had blood dripping from his arm because he'd been cussing himself and mm. he said, I had no one, I had no one. He clearly had no one ever to speak to about it. I was the first person he ever spoke to about it. And, you know, that's just a prime example of I'm very lucky to have people around me. And, you know, I, obviously I don't know your family situation. You might, If you that was to happen, you would think you might have someone around you, but the, yeah. the real crux of it is it's where, it's where there's people who don't or like they are so proud of who they are that they couldn't mm. ever, couldn't ever they do it. And I don't, I don't know the answer. I, I honestly, I can't say this. I, I don't, I don't know the answer. But what I will say to bring about entrepreneurship and founders is I think there's a massive mental health crisis going on in the founder community and entrepreneur community today. Um, it's something that I've lived mm. and I've been through, but I think because of the way founders are, because we're the leaders, you know, we're supposed to look up, no, look up as we, you know, we show no weakness and all that sort of stuff. And we've got the pressure of the employees that we need to keep moving up their career ladder, you know, all that sort of stuff. It, and we get so busy with work, it really bottles up. And um, I don't, I can't back that up with facts. That's just my personal experience. And yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree with you. I reflect on my own sort of 17 year sort of journey as a business owner. And, and I, I, I do reflect and I reflect about a wonderful woman called Becky Holston, who I've, I've mentioned on this podcast before. And, there was a point when you know the the low was so low that I didn't really know where to turn. And and you're right, you're you're the leader, you're the entrepreneur, you're the person everybody looks to for direction and guidance. So you walk through that door into that business, and you put your head up high, and you engage, and you do what you need to do. But it, there's times when it can feel like a pantomime and a show and I definitely went through that you know I talk about my low point being 2014 and if soon after that you know somebody connected me with Becky who's a life coach and stress coach and all of those kind of things and if yeah you know she fundamentally made me realize who I was as a person and the strengths I had yeah and that I needed to play to my strengths but it was somebody to talk to and it was somebody that didn't 
care who I was, what I knew, what I was, what I represented, you know, and I could just be me. And, you know, effectively our, our success came after some of those sessions where I could lose some of the baggage. I could take a few of the chips off my shoulder and I could go, right, just be me. Definitely. But it's quite, unless you go through that experience, it is hard, isn't it, Gregory? It's, it's really, really hard. And just to touch on two points to that. So I actually bought a domain name called Founders Friday Foundation the other day. And we're planning on setting this up. Um, so every single Friday afternoon, I block up my calendar and we mo- we'll get other volunteers to join on, block up my calendar on a Friday afternoon. And any entrepreneur, founder, I don't care, can go on anonymously and book a 15 minute call. It can be faceless, whatever, and they can just chat. And they can offload. And so it's kind of a nice way to end your week. So you're able to offload to maybe just, and mm-hmm. um, so, that's, so that's something I'm working on practically at the moment. And um, <laughs> I, I think that the Friday, the Friday aspect, um, everyone who I've told so far to really, really likes the aspect because it's the end of the week. It's, you know, it's a set time. I can be stressed because it is stressful. It's, you know, the stress isn't going to yeah. go. It is stressful, but I can be stressed. Yeah. And then I know at the end of the Friday afternoon, I've got a 15 minute call where I can offload it all. Or I've got issues outside that I can offload it all. That's the first thing. And the second thing you asked me, what can you do about it? Master thought control. That is the most underrated skill, I, I think, uh, in entrepreneur and founder community. Master thought control. So for me, when I saw counsellors, when I had my PTSD stuff, it it didn't work. I was telling them the same story again, again, again. Oh, and they would almost feel sorry for you and ask questions. Like, and I'm not saying counselling doesn't work. For me, it kind of didn't. And I went to see a PTSD specialist called uh, Steve, an incredible guy. And he never, to this day, does not know what happened to me. You know more what happened to me than Steve does. And he, wow. I, I was I was ready, here we go again, tell my story. They're, they're not going to help. They're just going to listen to me, feel sorry for me, uh, whatever. And I didn't want anyone to feel sorry for me at this point. And he got a whiteboard and he drew a picture of a horse and a rider. It's a common uh, psychology concept, apparently. I, I didn't know at the time. And he basically, the cult never heard of that. The rider, um, the sorry, the horse is your is, is is your brain. The rider is the control. And at the moment, he was kind of showing the horse can just go wherever it wants. And the rider, you have no control. But as the rider, if you can get control, you can control where the horse goes. And I was like, ah, wow, okay. So I so, so I said to him like, how do I, how do I get control of the horse as 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 the rider? And there's a whole visual uh, on this. I'm sure if you go to Google, there's tons of things on it. And uh, that's when he introduced me to meditation. And I say meditation. Some people, when they say that word, oh, sitting with your legs crossed in some hot country. That, <laughs> no, no, I, that's not, I, honestly, I don't meditate for inner peace. I don't meditate for relaxation, any of that. If you do, amazing, fantastic. It's not why I do it. I do it to master a skill set. I do it to master the skill of thought control. Because that's what meditation is. When you sit there, and I use Headspace, for example, which is a fantastic app. When you sit there, and you have to sit there for 10, 20 minutes and control what's coming in and out of your mind so, that, so it's clear. You know, there's so many different concepts within it, which I won't go through now. When you go into your day and bad things happen as a founder, ultra which they will do stresses, and you have the ability to go, I understand that. That hasn't happened yet. That's just a thought. I can transform that. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. And, you, and you're able to carry on. I mean, don't do it quite like that, but you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's that skill set. Yeah. Um, it becomes subconscious now for me. Um, so even when really bad things happen or, you know, things go wrong or I predict, you know, we, we're, we're always predicting the future and that we, in, in the present we're fine, but it's what's going to, what's going to happen in the future. Is this ad campaign going to work? I've just spent 10,000 pounds on this. Is this going to produce the results? 
I don't know, like that's, that's like two, three weeks problem. Like, you know, leave that there. Okay. Yeah. But let's, let, let, let's carry on today. And mastering thought control is one of the best skills I think you can do as a founder and an entrepreneur and to combat mental health. Um, because it gives you that element of control back, which is, and it, yeah. it is a skill set. And it's true, isn't it? A lot of people talk about mental fitness rather than kind of mental health at times, because it's that self-care routine. We all exercise our bodies, don't we? We all push ourselves. We push the cardiovascular system. We do all yeah. of these kind of things, but we don't give our brain time at times, times to just rest no. and gather itself and be fresh and ready and that mind control bit is a great way of putting it, Gregory. Love that explanation. And I suppose we've also, you know, talked already on a, on a number of occasions during the course of this conversation about social media and the media at large, and we'll perhaps come back to that newspaper story in, in a moment. But there's a lot around, and it's really interesting to get your perspective on this, particularly at 25 and, you know, had success to date, is there is this kind of, perception on social media of the entrepreneur driving the flash car yeah. you know hustle 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 that hustle culture and I, if I must admit when I came onto this interview I just I wondered what I was going to get Gregory you know met you for the first time today and it's brilliant I'm loving the conversation and somebody who's reflective in their sort of success and striving to go again and, and build you know and be successful but without that hustle 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 so what do you think about you know, the way that perhaps entrepreneurial life is portrayed on social media? Awful. I, 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 I think it's... I Sums say, it up. At the moment, I think if I if I had a... I guess I do have a choice not, not to not to be on social media, but for two years, I deleted my social media accounts. And that's why I don't have a... I mean, I've got some following now from, you know, from the networks and stuff, but if I could not be on social media for my business, I wouldn't be. Um, I think social media has some incredible aspects on in the networking. I mean, I, I probably might not even be doing this interview with you now if it wasn't for social media, which is which is amazing. I'm talking about launching the um, Friday Founders Foundation, which will be connect people on social media. So there are some amazing aspects to it. But on the whole, the the comparison, when, when it comes to entrepreneurs, it mm. will kill more businesses and entrepreneurs than anything else, in my in my opinion. The information mm. overload, and I talk about skill set, um, so meditation and thought control as a skill set, elimination as an entrepreneur is also a huge underrated skill set. Being able to mm. eliminate information which you do not need and opinions which you do not need is a real mm. skill set. And it's hard because we've all got the apps on our phone. You can delete them. I've done it multiple times, but they usually end up back in your phone, let's be honest. <laughs> you know, and yeah. you go on your laptop and you know, I'm, I do a Facebook post and then. You check and then you end up scrolling. It's really difficult to eliminate and just someone else's opinion and post or how someone betrays something when you're having a particularly bad day or something hasn't gone quite right makes people self-doubt so much. And unfortunately, I think kills a lot of their ideas and ambition and what could have been possible for them. And, you know, I've come up with strategies and ways to eliminate social media now. I do mm -hmm. spend more time on it now than I would like to. I don't scroll and look at all, all, all different things uh, anymore. There definitely was a point where I did do, but I can generally say the two years I was off it, I was happier. So, but the two years I was off it, I lost so much opportunity. So it's striking perfect balance, which I, I'm not that I'm perfect, but I've kind of nearly got now where I use tools to schedule all my posts and content, uh, which we're doing a lot of now. And it is important. It's social. You should engage. So, 
I will limit myself to 30 minutes to engagement on LinkedIn, 30 minutes on Facebook and reply to YouTube comments and, and, and all, all, all that sort of stuff. But I use an app, what's it called? It's, it's on Google Chrome, basically eliminates the newsfeed. So I can set it on a 30-minute okay. timer. And then once that 30 minutes is up, my newsfeed's gone. It comes up with a quote instead. It's, um, if you go to a Chrome extension, newsfeed, newsfeed eradicator, that's it. And it works on all okay. social media platforms. So being disciplined with that is really key, I think, as well. But yeah, I, I don't particularly like that social media landscape um, on the negative side, but it does bring fantastic opportunities. It does, definitely. Good perspective. And you talk about that newspaper article that had that profound effect on you. Has that now put you off, putting yourself out there? And, and would you do that kind of media again? Yeah, so it did uh, It did for two years. Um, I. So that was the cause of coming off all social? Pretty just, much. I, yeah, yeah I, I wasn't like... For our type of business back then, I, I wasn't building a personal brand at, at, at all. So it didn't matter too much. But uh, yeah, that was the catalyst of coming off. I just, I view it as a really positive thing. And I have got opportunities from it. But I wasn't expecting the, maybe naively wasn't expecting the, uh, you know, all the comments on the article the underneath on the yeah. on the Facebook and all that stuff. So no, it, it's, I mean, that's, you know, I'm, I'm now really last six to eight weeks, I've now realized I'm going to miss out on one of the greatest opportunities of a generation if I don't build a personal brand and I can't have the impact I want. Um, if you know, if I don't build that personal brand around what I'm doing, um, but it's just doing it in a way instead of maybe you know trying to be a bit of a social media junkie, I'm now trying to do you know, stuff. Like, it's like podcast speaking engagements offline. I'm, I'm, I'm out here in Dubai mm-hmm. at the moment. Some amazing networking events going on out here. And, you know, with like my YouTube content, which is really long form and depth, we're doing three videos a week at the moment. You know, I love that type of, I do enjoy that and doing the impact and teaching. I love that aspect of just removing the negativity and the scrolling and the comparison. So yeah, but it, it did, it did affect me. I'm not gonna lie. You know, words, words hurt more than physical stuff. So mm. sometimes, Definitely. And, yeah. It does hurt you. It's easy, you know, just ignore it. Just ignore it. But it's not easy to ignore it, is it? It's that's you know, it's, it's easy to say. saying that because you can't as a human being when that hate and those comments are being kind of aimed towards you. And so you are, it would appear, going through a kind of pivot at the moment. You were very successful, as that article demonstrates, uh, in the e-commerce kind of world. You know, um, starting with your eighty pounds and taking that on a journey are you out of e-commerce altogether now so i'm still so with the agency so i had a e-commerce brands transitioned into um an agency and that was the okay. biggest success and uh, mm-hmm. i have kind of advisory profit shares um still on that agency uh, with the team who run it now so i still advise it's very minimal and um, but yeah I, I am now removed from the e-commerce space in terms of having my own brands and you know, build, we built over mm. 2,000 Shopify sites throughout the course of the agency, which was uh, huge. Wow. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you know, yeah, so I'm now completely removed from that and uh, now the CEO of Constant Close. I, I do also do some bit of performance coaching. You can, I'm very big on mental health and I do ultra marathons and really take care of myself. And I love the, I love learning about the mind, discomfort and all that sort of stuff. So I do have people reach out to me and ask for that stuff. So... I was trying to set it up as honestly, I was going to set it up as a separate business, but I found when I did that, it took away the love and the natural, the natural love for it for me because the pressure on to create. And so, you know, I just kind of just, I just kind of stick with my business and I do that, you know, kind of on the, on the side for people because, you know, through just through networking, 
Um, I, I do love that side of it, but it's much easier when it's not like you have to create some content about it and speak about it all the time. I just, you know. Um, yeah, I, it takes the passion if it's a passion, isn't it? Sometimes people say that some of the best businesses come out of hobbies and passions, but sometimes it is the thing that gives you a release in life, isn't it? Yeah. So therefore let it give you the release and focus your entrepreneurial spirit and business attributes Yeah. doing something else. So as we sort of wrap up, I'm going to have two final kind of questions, but tell us a little bit so our listeners can learn a, more, a little bit more about Constant Close. What does that business do? Constant Close removes sales calls when selling high ticket products and packages online. So it's typically any online service-based business. So if it's an agency, if it's a consulting a creator education courses and we remove the need for a sales call from that process so we close 3k up to 50k deals without ever hopping on a sales call so this came about and it's complete i believe i'm one of the first to do it in this space i haven't seen anyone else do it I'm not saying there's not i just haven't seen anyone else do it it's come about with the old agency so we had a team of eight sales reps and six months later had zero I personally hate the current selling process online where you, you you get pitched a strategy call, everyone's in your DMs, you jump on a 45 minute call, you build a rapport, you know the same questions, even if they do it in a different way and they're very good at what they do. And then at the end, you know there's a pitch call and you buy in a pressure cooker. And a lot of time you buy when you wouldn't have ordinary bought because some people aren't mentally strong enough to say no in those situations and they get put mm, in a position yeah. there, then they take out a finance loan for 20000 dollars pound whatever it is and then they oh this isn't actually what i wanted and you can't get a refund and just that whole concept um yeah, it does work way yeah, of it, selling. Yeah. yeah it does but it, it, it works and it's, it's everywhere i'm not saying it doesn't work but i just didn't fit, i just didn't like that process I, I didn't like hiring sales reps i didn't like managing the sales team if you never manage a sales team for anyone listening to this it's, it takes a very unique personality i believe and it's a one of the hardest hires to get right and um, I, had, I went for about three or four. And I was like, oh, stuff this. <laughs> you know, there must be another way that's really efficient. So in short, what we do, it's the exact same process. So you might see an ad, you go to a, a sales page, you know, you put in your information for the free PDF or low ticket product or whatever it is. And then you would typically go watch, watch a video and apply, right? That's probably your listeners have been through a similar yeah. process. We're with a, a company, right? I've been through loads. And after you apply, people expect them to book a call. With our process, you cannot book a call. There's no, there's no sales call. You, if we, we manually look at your application, if we like it, we approve it, and you have five days to enroll. So you get sent a private demonstration, which is typically 45 minutes to an hour and a half. You know, you've probably seen like those type of webinars with Russell Brunson, what he does, which mm. sometimes we use like, like um, speaking gigs that, that they've done, you know, whatever it is. And the whole page goes into a lot more further depth and there's a time on it. If you do not enroll within those five days, you can't enroll until enrollment sporadically reopens, which might be 30 days, 90 days, whenever there's no, there, there, there's no set time. Okay. And so that, that's kind of the concept of it. So it builds real urgency because at the moment, if you booked a call with someone and said, oh, uh, you know, this, this, offer, this offer will be gone tomorrow. You won't, you won't be able to reschedule. Let's be honest, you can reschedule and you know, you can probably hop on a call next week. Like, <laughs> yeah. people, like buyers, buyers are no, so much, the people think we're stupid. Like, no, we know you can do that. And I've done the same, you know, I, I can't say I haven't. Yeah. Um, so there is a support process within that as well. So once they apply and we approve it, we reach out to them on three different channels. 
you know, they get SMSs. We phone them. So once they apply, we say, hey, your application's been approved. Any questions? So there's no book sales school, but we still, you know, still mm -hmm. phone them and see if they've, if they've got any questions. And that usually lasts like two to five minutes. And that's kind of the process. And then what you end up having is a waiting list of people who didn't believe you that the five day, they couldn't enroll after the five days. And you've got a waiting list there. Yeah. Or you can send an email to open a 40 hour enrollment window whenever you need more clients and uh you know okay so it's got a yeah, systemized kind of approach that's in a different way yeah i like that yes the sound of that. essentially in a nutshell and you help and you help businesses install that process within their sales pipeline their sales funnel so yeah we partner with them depending on where they're at so if they're typically below a hundred thousand a month and um, we'll build it all for them and kind of train them on how to yeah. run it if they're above a hundred thousand a month, we actually partner with them. So we build it all, run the whole system for them and actually give them clients and take 20% of the revenue. Brilliant. Lovely business model like that. <laughs> Definitely. So, so I'm going to finish with two questions. My two questions are, the first is if you, with the journey that you've been on, if you could go back 13 years and talk to your 12 year old self, what's the one bit of advice that you'd give that 12 year old? Can I say two words? Is, is, is that cheating? Yeah, of course you can. <laughs> uh, patience and belief. Patience I think, and belief. Yeah, we live in a world where it's too impatient. We expect things, again, largely due to social media. And believe in yourself because no one else will. Brilliant. Great answer. And the question I always end, you know, all our listeners will know this, is I always end with this kind of question, which is, you know, what's, you know, given everything you've been through, what's your personal definition of success, Gregory? That's the definition of success, impact over money. So I'll just put, I'll wrap, I'll wrap this up in a, in a nutshell. My sister uh, volunteered to go on an intensive care ward unit during the pandemic. She didn't have to, she volunteered and she did that for months and months on end without getting paid and any extra. And during that time, everyone was looking at me writing, the article, writing some articles about me saying how successful I was. And I would almost get embarrassed because whenever I had that conversation with someone like, no, no, no. Like just money doesn't equal success. Look at that person and look at the service they're giving so others can go home and be safe and be with their family again. And that's something now I'm trying to build into my journey. That's why I mentioned about the Friday's, family, Friday's Founders Foundation. I'm making impact with our clients with constant close. Yes, you know, I, I love them. It's brilliant. I'm making a big imp impact on saving time and money. But to me, success is service and being of service okay. to someone bigger and greater than yourself. And um, that's something, honestly, for my journey, I I missed the last few years. And um, something now I'm now really trying to build in. Glad you're connecting back with it. I love that impact over money. Brilliant. Gregory, thank you for being so open and frank and honest during the course of our conversation. I've loved having you as a guest on the Evolve to Succeed podcast. If people want to know more about you, more about Constant Close, where can they go? Yes, yeah, so if you go to constantclose.co, uh, you, can, you, can, you can see the company there. Uh, it's Gregory Cook on YouTube, Facebook, uh, Instagram, all, all the usual places, YouTube uh, and LinkedIn. Uh, but YouTube's definitely the place I'm really focusing on for 2023. And again, that trying to provide that impact to people, really give them that value. Brilliant. Thank you once again for being a great guest. Thanks for having me. Brilliant. Thank you for listening to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. My hope with every episode is that you've learned something new or heard something that challenged your way of thinking and further motivated you on your path towards becoming a more knowledgeable, informed and inspired individual and business leader. If you enjoyed this episode, then please help us by rating, reviewing and subscribing. 
We really value your feedback and would love to have you along for future episodes. And please don't forget to learn more about Evolve by going to evolvemembers.com. Thank you for listening. See you next week.